And I think going through being on staff at church, seeing the uh, intensive model, I can see the need for that, how the weekly counseling is helpful in certain situations, but other situations, there's just more that's required in a short period of time. And just like the weekend we just did of spending 66 hours with these men, right? That's equivalent to at least a year of of counseling for people. And and it's just invaluable, the new direction that, that men and women can get by going through intensive counseling. Ben Wilson, welcome to the Restoring the Soul podcast. Ah, thank you so much. It's good to be here. It's fun to have you here on the podcast as a Restoring the Soul intensive therapist, where in the past you've just been an acquaintance and a friend. Right, right. Yeah. We go back a little ways, huh? Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you've also been involved deeply with our Restoring the Soul Men's Intensive, which we'll unpack. But I just want to tell everybody that the purpose of this podcast is to introduce you to the world, to our podcast listeners and friends, and to let people know that you're the newest addition to Restoring the Soul's intensive programs. So talk a little bit about what led you to this moment of joining RTS and beginning to do intensives. Yeah, part of it is um, I've always had a heart for intensives, and Ann and I did a number of intensives with other couples. Ann's my wife. Her situation changed, and so we weren't doing those anymore. And in doing the men's intensives with you, the weekends, I've just seen how you've continued to grow and evolve as a person and therapist and uh, just began to grow in my heart to come and join you and to do intensives with you at Restoring the Soul. Yeah, you did marriage intensives primarily for couples that were experiencing infidelity. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the book that you wrote as a result of that. Yeah, my wife and I uh, experienced infidelity in our own marriage. And through uh, moving through that and having a healthy marriage, eventually, uh, we both earned our counseling degrees. And then at, at that point, we were uh, involved in different parts of ministry, but part of that was caring for other couples as they experienced infidelity. And through all of that, we wrote a book called Betrayed and Betrayer, Rescuing Your Marriage After the Affair. And where could people get that book? Uh, they can pick that up on Amazon or other online bookstores. Fantastic. So listeners, Ben and Ann Wilson, Betrayed and Betrayer. So, Ben, we met each other back in the mid-90s. I think it was 1996 that we met. That's the it. First time. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, you yeah. were a student in the counseling program. I was teaching there, and we worked beside one another. And you graduated from the program with uh, Larry Crabb and Dan Allender. So those two men have influenced you. Talk a little bit about the approach that you have used for now two and a half decades in private practice before you've come to Restoring the Soul? Oh, gosh, it's involved a lot. I'm coming out, what I learned most out of the program is still a concept that that applies of just deep, deep longings and wrong strategies to meet those longings. I feel like that undergirds all that I do. And, and so even as people go directions that are ultimately harmful to themselves or to their marriage, there's still a good longing underneath all that. And so I seek to get to that longing and bring it out. And in the midst of all the pain and hurt that's there to acknowledge that and to know that the person involved has a good heart and we want to get to that good heart 
And that's not to minimize the the pain that the other person feels or that if it's an individual, just the pain that they've caused themselves and harm in their own lives. Yeah. So let's unpack that idea a little bit, because that's not always talked about this concisely and clearly as you stated it, but the idea of deep longings and wrong strategies. And if I can change that word wrong strategy just to unhealthy strategies, maladaptive strategies, or what we call at the men's weekend, mishandling our pain, right? So it's that there's these God-given longings inside of me. And then in response to that, largely because we've never learned, we don't have the internal resources within, like in our nervous system, or there's something addictive going on that we go in directions that actually cause more suffering than give us what we want and need. Talk about how just more about that in your work. Oh, that's a that's a that's a great way to put it. I think a lot of times there's so much shame to battle through that it's tough for individuals to to recognize that they have good longings. Like they may spend a lot of times just beating themselves up that they can't quit something or that something has such a hold on them that it's tough for them to get to the good longing and believe that there's something good in their heart uh, around this, right? And oftentimes the the strategy that people use is they just want to cut it off. They just want God to take it away. But God can't take it away because he would have to take some really good parts of that person to do that. And so that's, as you said, that continues to cause more suffering. But once you begin to face that head on and face your story head on, uh, a person can move through the suffering and move to the other side and experience more hope in their lives. There really is no change, deep change inside without facing some pain and suffering, right? Exactly. Exactly. As we were going through our tough times, that's one thing I vowed. And one thing I realized that there was only so much pain to deal with. And I wanted to deal with as much as I could each day. And sometimes it's overwhelming. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't go out of the hundred percent every day, right? Because it can get so big and everybody needs to take a break and just go to the lake or do whatever they like to do for fun or just to relax and circle back around after, after they get a break from that and have some renewed energy to dig in again. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your, your, your background. You've got a really varied background for a therapist. Uh, first, first interesting thing is you went to college and you were a golfer during college and you went on to be a professional golfer. So talk a little bit about golf in your life. Just, I mean, it's not directly related to counseling, but it's part of the richness of who you are. Yeah, golf was a big part of my life. My dad introduced me to the game and I started playing at a young age. And, you know, as I hit double digits, it became more and more important to me and could see that I had some talent there. And I just loved to play and I loved to be outdoors. And so eventually uh, won the state high school a couple of times in Missouri and played for Missouri in college. And uh, we won the big eight, kind of dating myself there. We won the big eight, uh, ended Oklahoma State's. I think they had an 11 year win streak or something like that. So that was a great, great deal to do that. Lots of fun. And I was all big eight my senior year and then moved on wow. to professional ranks. And I played, uh, people might know Brandel Chambly's name. He's a host on the golf channel and he played on tour and Stan Utley and guys named Duffy Waldorf played with John Daly and, uh, Steve Elkington is another major champion I played with from that era. Fantastic. And how often do you get out on the course these days with your busy life? 
Uh, just depends on the year. I think I got out there six or eight times this year, but a few years ago I played a little bit more and, and, uh, that was lots of fun. I like to get out, uh, and ride my bike more now than I do play golf. Let's talk about that because I think this is insane. And yet I have great respect for it. You have done the Ironman, the full Ironman two times. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I did two times. Um, for the uninitiated, we're not talking about a 10K and then riding your bike 10 miles and swimming a mile. Talk about what the actual Ironman is. The actual Ironman distance is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and then you run a marathon. All back to back to back. Back to back to back, right? You just go to transition, uh, switch your clothes if you need to, switch your shoes if you need to, and head on out to the next thing. So a, a big question for me, if I were listening fresh and not knowing you, is why? What inspired you to do that not once but twice? Well, it started in in my 40s. I got way out of shape and overweight. And then uh, a friend of mine, was he was a bike rider. He got me out there riding the bike. And so I really enjoyed that. We did the MS-150. So that included, you know, riding your bike 80 miles each day. And I never dreamed I could have built up to that. When I started riding, I thought riding six or seven miles was, was a long way. And then there was a group of us in our town who decided to try a triathlon. And um, somewhere through that, I decided I'll do the shortest triathlon one year. The next step up is the Olympic. And then you do a half Ironman and then an Ironman after that. And yeah, in that process, that's when we moved back to Colorado and did my first Ironman in 2014 in uh, Boulder. Oh, my goodness. You did your first one at 5,000 feet, a mile above sea level. Right, right, right. Yeah. What was it like when you crossed the finish line uh, on that marathon the first time? Oh, it was a thrill. It was a real thrill. Just finishing each one, it's kind of like getting through the swim. There's a deep sense of relief. Not a great swimmer, so getting through that. And my favorite part of it is riding the bike, and so getting out on the bike. Then I'm a kid having fun doing that. And then, you know, who wants to ride? Uh, run a marathon after riding your bike 112 miles, but you get out there and you do it and you're just in this river of people that you keep going and that energy fuels you. And there was a time about when I was about a 10 K out, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this thing, but kept moving, walked a little bit and eventually latched on to a couple people that went by me, but not by me too fast and just grabbed their coattails and their energy to help get to the finish line. So yeah, it was, uh, I had friends there congratulating me. It was really euphoric to, to finish that. That's remarkable. You also have another little bit of a circuitous route to your counseling degree where we train together at Colorado Christian. You have a master's in business administration, an MBA. How did you get from MBA to licensed professional counselor? Uh, good question. Um, went for an MBA went out into the business world and I wasn't sure really what I wanted to do with my MBA when I got it. And so I bounced around a little bit and then I also struggled with addiction and struggled with drinking then. And uh, once getting sober began to get a little more clarity about moving forward with my life and being a part of serving others. And then my wife and I had all our problems at that point. And I had actually, I found out, about her affair when I was just, I was three weeks into seminary and I had intended to go and be a full-time pastor. 
going through that, leaning on my chaplain in the Army Reserves. He's the one who reintroduced me to Larry's books. And uh, walking through that, I knew at the end of that, I wanted to be there for other people like he was there for me. And so I knew that I wanted to be a counselor more than I wanted to be an upfront preacher in that, at that point. And it was a lot better fit for me. And that's when you moved to Colorado shortly thereafter. That's when we moved to Colorado. Yeah. It was a real fast process once I decided that to get out, to come on out here. And I was born in Southern Colorado. So there's always a sense of coming home. When I- ben, you mentioned that you had gone to seminary because you wanted to be a pastor. But after you got your counseling degree, you actually were on staff at a couple of major churches, one in Denver and one in Missouri. Talk a little bit about what your involvement has been at church. And the reason why I think it's going to be interesting for people to hear about this is that you can relate to a lot of different people. You can relate to the MBA type. Uh, you can relate to the golfer type or the, the athlete uh, based on your, your success in golf and your professional golf experience. Um, I didn't recall, although I know this about you, that you were in the Army Reserves. So you're also military. And from time to time, we work with uh, military leadership at Restoring the Soul. So talk a little bit about your work at churches, what you did there as a counselor, and and why you might see that intensive counseling is important in light of the kind of work that you did at churches. I was, uh, one of my titles was care ministry pastor, and I basically did the same thing at both churches. Um, I uh, trained lay ministers, did counseling myself, and oversaw groups, recovery groups, whether it's divorce recovery or grief recovery or or uh, addiction recovery groups. And then I also led a number of different types of groups for sexual abuse recovery and, and sexual addiction recovery, those kinds of things. And just through all that and moving around as a kid and military training, just encountered a lot of different people and learned to relate to a lot of different uh, people with different backgrounds. And so that's been real helpful. And I think going through being on staff at church, seeing the uh, intensive model, I can see the need for that, how the weekly counseling is helpful in certain situations, but other situations, there's just more that's required in a short period of time. And just like the weekend we just did of spending 66 hours with these men, right? That's equivalent to at least a year of of counseling for people. And, And it's just invaluable, the new direction that that men and women can get by going through intensive counseling. Yeah, I appreciate that, the idea of a new direction, because we we talk a lot about how a lot of healing is not about pushing down our desire, but about reorienting our life to a really different goal and a really different approach and a different way of doing life. And I love when churches have counseling ministries, when church leadership, quote, buys in to counseling. There are still remnants of a lot of churches, and they they tend to be more conservative, that say psychology and Bible or psychology and Christianity don't mix. And I know both of the churches that you were part of and that you really had a big impact there uh, because the people attending those churches are wounded and broken. And here's the most obvious statement in the world, right? I wish this weren't true, but being a Christian and just going to church doesn't address the deep inner issues that we have, the brokenness, the woundedness, the way that we mishandle our vulnerability and trauma and things like that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what I hope to do when I was on staff at church and still continue to do is just invite, invite people into a deeper look, a deeper look at their own hearts, a deeper look at their relationship with God, a deeper look at their own story. I was fortunate enough in, in uh, the last church I was at, it was near a military base. It was near Whiteman Air Force Base. And so got to meet with a lot of military folks there. And that was really uh, a big learning experience for me and taught me all that they go through and really just honor the journey that they're on. And I, I think some of those guys uh, from when you were there in the early days of our weekend intensive, I remember some of them coming through the weekend that you had referred, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, Ben, talk a little bit about how others would describe you, how your clients would describe what kind of counselor you are. I've heard lately just the the tenderness that I have when when I speak to people is helpful, that it's really inviting to them and helps them feel safe and comfortable. And that's not to say I'm not strong and direct as well. And I think it's the combination of both of those that is helpful to be able to speak directly and name things, help, help people name things for themselves, but also give them a place where they know they're accepted to know that they can share their story and it's going to be safe with me. Yeah. And because I just talked about your involvement at churches for somebody coming in with spiritual abuse or maybe issues where pastors have been bullies or worse, are you a safe person for people with religious and spiritual wounds to sit with? I know the answer to that, but talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a strong area that I have in counseling of just having been in church and, and attended church and also been on staff at church, just seeing the good and the bad and the ugly of it all, you know, and had my own times where I, where I probably hurt other people. But there is a, a place where something doesn't feel right to somebody, but gee, I'm at church, so it must be right because the leadership is saying it's right when it's absolutely wrong. And it ends up causing a lot of pain, causing a lot of hurt. And, you know, it's not churches that abuse. It's it's leadership at churches that sometimes abuse. And I don't want to paint with too broad a brush because there's a lot of great pastors out there and people on staff at churches that really do a great job of, of caring for the, for their members. Yeah. And so often those issues include things like controlling and bullying in sometimes very subtle ways. Oftentimes, I think the thing I most see with religious, spiritual and church abuse is a lot of shaming. And then, of course, in more, much more difficult situations, there's real boundary crossing uh, with with sexual and emotional boundary crossing. And of course, that's all part of what we do at Restoring the Soul. But the reason I ask the question is that it seems like those of us that were trained in the background with Dan Allender and perhaps lesser people know uh, Larry Crabb now, but Dan Allender is still working and teaching up in Seattle and is a trauma expert as he, as he teaches at the Seattle school that so many of us went through a process of being reoriented to a loving God, a merciful God, a God who is really about restoring and liberating our hearts to become who we're meant to be, as opposed to a God that requires us first and foremost to have an allegiance to Christianity and to a particular set of rules and doctrines, that it really reoriented us to Jesus and to seeing the kingdom through Jesus and the Trinity. Talk a little bit about how that has unfolded for you. 
I ask the question because I really have a, a deep respect for your faith and the way that you experience God. Thanks. Yeah, that was a big part of going through the counseling program at Colorado Christian of just um, the beginning of that reorientation of moving, really um, taking seriously of leaning into Jesus and re- resting in Jesus versus a set of rules um, that you need to follow, a set of do's and don'ts. Um, yeah, one, and then one thing I've learned through the years that's, is that the more black and white the environment, the more, more prone you are to hiding and addiction and those sorts of things. And so for me, it's really uh, been intuitive to um, move more in that direction of trusting God in significant ways, more with myself and just knowing that I want to spend time with him. And he's glad when I show up to spend time with him and to be with him. And and then my direction in life comes out of that, not following, okay, these are the 20 do's and don'ts I need to deal with. Yeah. You talked about how the more black and white it is, the more hiddenness there is and potentially more addiction. But, you know, what I'm also seeing is a lot of people that just have a deep ache in their heart and they're lonely and they're going to church and they say, I feel worse when I go to church because I feel so alone and I feel so unknown. So, yes, there's absolutely the addiction issues and the hiddenness, but just that sense of it's meant to be a place of vitality and connection. And if people look beneath the surface of, wow, here's some awesome teaching or inspiring teaching or something, and how's my life internally changing or how connected do I feel, that oftentimes is just uh, a lot of pain. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I I think, Michael, that's one thing I really enjoyed about being on staff at church and in the environments I was able to help create was just the authenticity and vulnerability that was there. And right or wrong, people would say, hey, this feels more like church to me than church. And um, there's something really good in that statement and something really sad in that statement as well. I think you may know some of these people, but I've actually done intensive counseling here at Restoring the Soul with ministers who have been on staff in the position of a care pastor or care ministry or counseling. And because that's speaking to the real issues uh, where people are at all, and certainly within a Jesus centered uh, context that that care pastor becomes in many ways more successful than the church itself. And I've seen numerous situations where the Celebrate Recovery Group grows larger or as large as the relatively you know, small church of 250 people. And before you know it, that the person is pushed away because there's an insecure senior pastor who says, hey, this is a whole other church. When, in fact, people that are attending those CR groups, and I'm using that as just an example, are saying, well, this is church, which just which just rounds out this idea of that that church is meant to be holistic, right? That it's not just a sermon on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, a good part of the church, but it not necessarily all that, that is meant to be there. And this is a key aspect of the relational elements and uh, that recovery groups go into how connected people get it with other people in the recovery groups. It's really beautiful to see. And of course, you know this, but it takes relationship to heal and to grow. Yeah, right. We're wounded in relationship, we're hurt in relationship, and so we can only heal in relationship. How I, how I wish that we could all just listen to a couple podcasts and read a book and then 
poof, we're healed. There we go. Much less read the Bible and we're healed. Hey, I want to just end with this. I've always said in the 20 some years that I've done restoring the soul as an intensive ministry, that I would only work alongside people and hire people that I would have my own family members sit and be counseled by. And you're somebody in that category that I just have a deep confidence in your skill, your ability, your training, but mostly I have a deep respect and love and care for your personal journey and for your heart, that when you sit with people, they're going to be really deeply loved, that they're going to be safe, and that you are God's instrument of transformation in people. I've seen that again and again, including uh, as part of the training that you're doing here of transitioning from the private practice work you've done, plus some of the intensive work you've done, which had a somewhat different structure. You've sat in with me, and it's just been so uh, enjoyable and powerful to see you kind of come alongside and speak into the lives of people as we've done that together. So I want to say thank you for all of that. Thank you for your heart. Um, thank you that uh, after all these many, many years of practicing and training that you're going to be able to experience, uh, I think, a new level of freedom and joy and fruitfulness in what God's really equipped you to do. So I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm really proud to have you on our staff. Thank you. I'm excited as well. I'm looking forward to spending more time there and serving people there and an expanded role at Restoring the Soul. So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.